Hi folks, it's Dr. Christine Sauer, your host of Sparkles for Mental Health. And today I have an amazing guest, Fred Rudman, who died multiple times, but there he is. Hi Fred, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you, Christine. Happy to be here. So tell us, how come that you died so often? What happened to you? Well, um, we can go with the adventure side of it, or we can go a little clinical with the, you know, actually what happened to my body. So maybe I'll just tell the overall story first and save the condition as the uh, cliffhanger at the end. Um, in the summer of 20 of 2009, I started passing out rather abnormally and randomly. And I ended up in the hospital a number of times. And the doctors kept trying to prove that I was having a heart attack because I'm a middle-aged, overweight, white male. So that's the easy diagnosis. And every time I would pass out, I would hit my head on whatever was in the immediate vicinity that was you know, harder than my head. And I obtained a whole bunch of concussions in a very short period of time, which makes them even worse. So months went by with them trying to prove I had a heart attack and they kept testing my blood for enzymes. And I forget what the enzymes are called when you have a heart attack. Troponin um, and all that stuff. Yeah. But and it wasn't. And it wasn't. But, and you would think, you know, after 10 times, 15 times, you might say, hmm, maybe we should be looking for something else. What else could it be? Yeah, but apparently that didn't get considered. So um, eventually a doctor put a Holter monitor on me. And while I was wearing the Holter, I had uh, a number more incidents. And they finally looked at the results. And the doctor comes running into my room at the hospital. And he's like, holy shit, your heart keeps stopping. You need a pacemaker. No kidding. Yeah. Doc, you know, I might have suggested that to you guys a week or so ago. And you totally discounted it because, you know, the doctor who suggested it wasn't from Big Shot Toronto. So um, anyway, um, that was my first adventure. They put in a pacemaker. They squeezed me in with a surgeon uh, who I was going to be his last patient before he went on vacation. I'm, sh <laughs> I'm sure, you know, he wasn't pleased about the extra work. And then I had a couple more incidents while I was waiting. So they bumped me up. And in, in the book I'm writing about this, I, I I'm sure this guy was thinking about umbrella drinks on the beach, uh, you know, in Jamaica or wherever. Uh, while he was doing my surgery because I think something didn't go right. I am not surprised. I've participated in many surgeries and sometimes I said to myself, I'm some glad that that patient is not hearing what they're saying. <laughs> yes. I, I hear there's a lot of code words that doctors use, um, you know, to, to mask what's actually going on, even when they're talking in front of patients. So, um, so nobody checked me for concussions 
Nobody checked me for brain trauma of any sort, not a CT scan, not an MRI. They, you know, essentially released me from the hospital with no sort of, of uh, recovery plan. It's just like, here you go. You got your pacemaker, come back in seven days. We'll make sure it's still running properly. And, but, but there was no roadmap for any sort of recovery. And I was really battered. Um, I had depth perception problems, vision problems. Um, I lost words. I lost an entire language. I could no longer read Hebrew, uh, which I had been doing in some form since I was in kindergarten. Um, balance, depth perception, all those things were off and nobody did anything about it. So I just went my own path and figured out how do you heal your brain? Well, you try learning something new and you exercise those and, and eat better. So that was my road map. And that's what I was doing until 2013. So four, roughly four years later. And um, all this started happening again. And you know, the doctors couldn't figure out what was happening. So I would collapse, I would hit my head, I would have this weird recovery. And um, finally, they realized the pacemaker was failing. And um, one of the leads had cracked. So for the audience, a pacemaker is roughly the size of an old pocket watch. And it's a supercomputer. And they put a couple of leads or wires from the supercomputer to your heart. And it replaces your heartbeat in some function, depending on your condition. So like any electrical cord, um, they're insulated. And if there's a crack in the insulation, uh, you short circuit. <laughs> and that's what was happening to me. So and sometimes the leads come loose and lose contact. So pacemakers malfunction all the time. Yep. But it took a number of months to, to figure this out. That's so, amazing. That's unbelievable, really. Mm -hmm. But wait, it gets better. <laughs> so I, uh, I go for the surgery where they're going to put in a new lead. And I'm skipping a whole bunch of details here. But I had severe anxiety. Um, and I, you know, upon reflection, my anxiety has gotten worse from the post-concussion syndrome and, you know, having been dead and all those things. Um, and then uh, the surgery, almost from the time they started to open me up, I, and you're awake for this procedure. The first time I wasn't awake. Now they do it while you're awake and they numb you up and everything. I, I felt that my heart had stopped again. And before it even showed up on the big monitor board with all your vitals and everything, I was just like, oh, fuck, I'm gone. And then all hell broke loose. And uh, I guess they had just moved the pacemaker, I'm theorizing, in a way that made the lead disconnect even further. And that was it. And uh, bedlam. And... I have to tell you, when it happens live in the operating room, 
it's nothing like what you see on TV. You know, it's not like every person who needs to be there is there in eight seconds and every piece of equipment and every medication. And, you know, it, it's just so um, the pacing pads, I call them the, you know, the, the paddles, the external paddles. Yeah. Yeah. So they fired those up and I think they hit me like every two thirds of a second or something like that. And you are still awake. And yeah. Well, they woke me up. <laughs> they brought me back to I life. I can imagine. And um, I don't remember them putting them on me when I went into the uh, operating lab. And uh, so I wasn't really sure what was going on. And I said, you know, I'm back. Uh, you know, you can stop pounding on my chest, you know, whenever you feel like it, like this really, really hurts because you're literally getting, normally you get shocked to death. Now you're getting shocked to life. And uh, somebody says, shut the fuck up. We're trying to save your life. And somebody else says, no, keep talking. We want to know you're okay. So, you know, you've got that really clear messaging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And then they couldn't. Very reassuring in that moment. Yeah. Uh, and then they couldn't find a temporary pacemaker. Um, so they brought back the the module but nobody brought the lead so then they had to and then they didn't anesthetize me because they go up through the femoral artery yeah and uh they had to cut me open so there was no numbing agent there was no antiseptic so they they finally get this temporary pacemaker in and uh then i find out I have to be um, on bed rest, not just bed rest. I cannot move because they don't know if it's inserted well. And they have to wait to see if I have an infection. <laughs> so it took like six or seven days before they decided they could try this again. Um, attempt number two didn't go so well either. And uh, they couldn't get the new lead through my vein. So eventually they did. But um, turns out that one didn't last long either, because in 2018, I went through this all over again. So in that surgery, they decided, okay, we're going to do something new. We're just going to put in a total new pacemaker and two brand new leads, and we'll go through the right side of your chest. And that surgery was supposed to go swimmingly. I asked the doctor to put me to sleep for this one because I didn't want to go through any of this again. And they did. And um, for some reason, they couldn't get the atrial lead in place. So they had to figure out on the fly how to keep me alive. And so now I, I was told I'm one of like eight people in the world that have two pacemakers running concurrently. Okay, at least a certain safety, <laughs> you would think. Yeah. Or do they interfere? It, it's not an exact science. So it took a while for them to, to get the sensors matched up. So I would have these minor syncopes every so often, only, you know, three, five, eight seconds. Certainly not like I was having before, 
but enough to like make you fall against the wall or something like that. And uh, so that's uh, how I got into my current state of mental health, I guess, um, which I'm still trying to recover from. So. Tell me about it. Um, are you saying that as a phrase or are you telling me to tell you about it? I really want to know how that affected your mental health. And I suppose it didn't make it better. No, it made, you know, everything is off and it's still off. It's, um, if anybody remembers the old style car radios or stereos where you had to uh, a little dial and you'd have to move the needle over to, I'm never quite on the station. You know, you can, so, you know, my nonverbal processing is off. My balance is still a little off. My fine motor controls are still a little off. Uh, on the outside, people mostly think I'm pretty good, but only you know yourself. And, and you know when things aren't quite up to snuff. Mm. Um, I have a lot more social anxiety than I ever did before. Uh, I went to a wedding last weekend and, you know, because of COVID, I haven't been in a lot of big crowds or tight spaces and stuff. I found myself having to, to take frequent breaks. You know, there were too many people. It was too hot. It was too loud. I was uncomfortable. You know, people were bumping into you and I just had to leave. And I'm a pretty social person. That's, you know, that's never happened to me before. Oh. And uh, there's just always this anxiety running in the background. You know, when's the pacemaker going to fail again? And I have oh. to go through this all over again. Yeah. And right now, um, about three weeks ago, I just found out that the original pacemaker, the battery is about to go. Mm -hmm. So you just can't lie down on a wireless charger like you can with your phone. So uh, before the end of this year, uh, I guess December, 2023, I'm going in for another surgery. So replace the like, battery. Yeah. And the, you know, they have to replace the whole pacemaker. They don't, you know, technology upgrades and all that. So I think this is going to be my 13th heart procedure of some sort since 2009 and uh you know going through the procedure and the recovery and all i mean it just grinds on you you know it it, it is really amazing that uh, you had so many episodes where you were unconscious and the brain did not get enough oxygen that is automatically a hypoxic brain trauma Mm -hmm. And that nobody really looked after how to heal your brain is unfathomable in my books. Mm -hmm. And I know you figured out a few strategies for yourself, how to make it better. What did you find that helped to recover some of your brain function at least? Well, learning things that you felt or I felt were out of my normal learning range. Like, mm. I, I think I'm a pretty smart guy. Um, so I had to go for things that were, you know, outside my comfort zone and you have to force your brain to create 
its own neuroplasticity, which is the body's natural response to, to helping your neural system recover. And uh, that's one of the main ways that they do it. Um, I think next on my list is trying to learn a musical instrument. Um, I, I also have a pre precondition um, before all this. Uh, I believe I had a stroke when I was born. Okay. So I have uh, hemiparesia. Okay. So the left side of my body is effectively like a stroke. So it doesn't work so well to start with. Okay. Uh, so um, the next step is trying to learn something like piano to get more of that cross brain function working. And I know you're also uh, done intermittent fasting because we know that the ketones and the intermittent fasting actually creates brain-derived neurotrophic factor and regenerates mm -hmm. neurons, same as high-intensity intermittent exercise, if you're allowed to do that. That's the other thing with your heart condition. Mm -hmm. I, I now have no restrictions on anything except going like... Uh, on roller coasters or okay. you know jumping out of an airplane because the the super fast changes in blood pressure or blood flow might confuse the uh, pacemaker sensors um, but other than that i can do pretty much anything um, that's excluding things that where i might take a high impact in the chest sure you know so um, they don't want me doing like MMA fighting or something. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend that even to healthy people. It is <laughs> an assault for your brain. <laughs> yes. And so, have you ever considered hyperbaric oxygen? I've been thinking about that. It's just a matter of, of acquiring the resources to do it. I, I've heard that's really, really good for you. Yeah, especially in, in cases like yourself for hypoxic brain trauma and uh, and traumatic brain injury that you had multiples of. Mm -hmm. And you had also a lot of anesthesias, which we know is not good for the brain. And uh, being a brain health professional with Dr. Daniel Amen, I don't know if you heard about him in the States. Mm -hmm. Change yeah. your brain, change your life. I love his methods. And... Uh, I know that hyperbaric oxygen can make a big difference for brain function in a case like yours. So I hope that either the system will have it in it to finance that, which they should, mm -hmm. uh, or that otherwise something comes along that allows you to have that method. They have one um, at a local hospital that's sort of in the middle of uh, shutting down um and they reserved it for uh people that have either had the bends um and aren't recovering on the schedule they should or for i believe burn victims yeah that's a typical case non-healing wounds i mean a non-healing brain is much more important sorry to say that but i think mm -hmm. it should be mandatory for traumatic brain injuries but it's still not standard of care in mm -hmm. canada i i have to tell you be beyond the uh brain derived neurotropic whatever the last word is factor yes 
um, the the thing that to me has made the biggest difference in my life is the intermittent fasting because it it does so many things and on the healing side but it's mostly promoted for weight loss and even my cardiologist who introduced me to intermittent fasting it was strictly for weight loss there was no discussion with any of my doctors about all the other benefits of it which i i know now and i actually coach intermittent fasting and it's the list of of things that it cures for people is astounding and i know people say well you know there there's no long-term studies that say what you're saying holds up and i was a coach or a moderator in a 335,000 member intermittent fasting group so if you have 10 people that report something you know that's anecdotal i buy that when you have hundreds of thousands of people reporting that it helps with their asthma it helps with their sleep it helps get rid of these skin conditions it helps with inflammation it helps with this it helps with that it's not anecdotal it might not be a formal study but the results are there. You know, there's actually quite good studies about it. And you're probably talking about Jason Fung. He's a, the Pope of intermittent fasting in Canada. He wrote books about it. And yeah. I, I love uh, everything he does. And it's not just for obesity. And there's good studies that prove all the other benefits. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, conventional medicine chooses to ignore certain studies uh, that don't make them much money. Yeah. Well, one of the things that, that Dr. Fung, um, I had the opportunity to go to him, but it's too far from where I live. It's an inconvenient trip. Yeah. Um, he has so many patients where he's reversed their type two diabetes. Mm. When I first went in the hospital in 2009, they diagnosed me with type two diabetes in Canadian numbers. My blood sugars were 23. That's quite a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it's like there's a thick syrup running through your body, not not blood. That's a good one, yeah. (laughs) And uh, so in American numbers, I think that's something like 420, to give them an idea. And your regular blood sugar. After 30, you're in the coma. So you were pretty close. Yeah. You know, in this medical journey, I've been an overachiever in many things. And that one, not so much. Um, So, you know, traditional medicine tells you if you have type 2 diabetes, you're screwed. Your life's going to get worse and worse. It's a chronic condition and you're going to lose a kidney. You're going to lose a limb. You're going to have not retinopathy. Well, that's one of them. Yeah, Uh, your eyes go, your kidneys go, your blood vessels go, you lose your legs and and everything and you have to stack medication on medication and needle on needle and Mm -hmm. what did you find i found that once i started intermittent fasting i had been on insulin four times a day one with each meal and one at bedtime um within six months i started in may of 2018 and by december of 2018 I was off insulin. 
my blood sugar is totally normalized. Yeah. And, and an interesting thing about being a diabetic is once you're classified as a diabetic, they won't take it off your charts if you're no longer diabetic. So if you've battled cancer and you go into remission or they call you, uh, they declare you free of cancer, you have no more cancer, you don't have cancer. But if you're diabetic, yeah, you're all diabetic, even if your numbers are perfectly normal. It's it's almost impossible to get it off your medical chart. Because officially, type 2 diabetes doesn't go in remission. And mm-hmm. to be honest, most people, even if they try it, don't achieve it because it is not that easy. So you had a lot of discipline to actually do the things that you needed to do to achieve it. Mm-hmm. And intermittent fasting um, is not as difficult as people think it will be it's more of a mental battle and and your attitude is your superpower um what really swung intermittent fasting for me was being introduced to um oops this won't show (laughs) sorry the book is fast feast repeat by jen stevens yeah and she's the one it's a New York Times bestseller. So it's usually either her or Dr. Fung in number one uh, in whatever category that they put those books in for the yeah. New, York, New York Times bestsellers. And um, I know her personally now. And uh, I was a moderator for her, her group. And her methodology for fasting is a little different than most others. And she has something called a clean fast which doesn't allow you to do the bone broths or the artificial sweeteners or the 50 calorie minimum stuff like that. So you're either, you know, it's pure water, unflavored, unsweetened, black coffee, black tea. That's it for your fasting period. And it helps get rid of so much inflammation in your body. You won't believe how good you can feel because you don't really understand how bad you're feeling and until you get this unbelievable contrast. So that is, that is so important to hear that from somebody that did it and not only did it himself, but you heard of many, many others and uh, studied everything that's on it. And uh, it, 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 it is so true. And I've done it myself too. I, had so much fun doing it. I wrote a little book myself. It's not in any way famous, but I called mm-hmm. it the F word diet mm-hmm. just for fun. I'll show you the title page because I'm so proud of the designer. <laughs> you have to look at the title page. <laughs> Very nice. Isn't that the best fork ever? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's just a fun little read. It's not a scientific book in any way, but mm-hmm. it, I, I, I had fun with the title page. So, <laughs> Well, sometimes, you know, everybody learns differently and picks up information differently. And Jin does a lot of the science in her book. And obviously Jason Fung does a lot of the science, oh, yes. but some people just need the stories. 
they they don't need all the you know this hormone does that and this hormone does that so jen actually has a a podcast called intermittent fasting stories and she interviews people who've just gone on this intermittent fasting journey and they tell their story that's excellent there's a a little bit of science uh, as needed but basically it's you know people telling their stories and um one of the things we hear most is it gets rid of brain fog because your brain seems to like running better on ketones than it does on carbs. And, and oddly, when you see the dietitian and you're a type 2 diabetic and they know that sugars are bad for you, what do they tell you to do? Eat like 45 grams of carbs, you know, Pump your blood sugar up. And then five little meals during the day. Keep your sugar up all day. <laughs> yeah. And then take the insulin to take like it's just this roller coaster and your body you gets know, so confused. Insulin for type 2 diabetes is in my books contraindicated. It's mm-hmm. just not right. It shouldn't well, be given unless there's no other way and the patients are un- unwilling to do anything else. Mm-hmm. But they don't even try sometimes yeah i guess i i should put a disclaimer here while you are a doctor i am not so before you do anything like this talk talk to people who understand what's going on and and i mean not everybody is able to do it but i Mm -hmm. love that you tell the story and encourage people you can reverse type 2 diabetes and Mm -hmm. if your doctor tells you it's impossible he doesn't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, my cardiologist and my family doctor have both gone to seminars put on by Jason Fung. Right. Uh, my endocrinologist had never heard of intermittent fasting. Yeah. So he said, if you want to do this, I'll send you to Jason Fung. Right. So I said, no, I think it's more important that you learn how to do this for your patients. Um, so I'm going to be, you know, your patient zero, and you're going to see how well it works. Good for and, you. and that's what's happened. Good for you. I love that you do it. Now, you wrote a book. Tell me about the book. So the book is my ridiculous medical journey that you've heard part of. Um, it's called The Summer I Died 20 Times. And uh, it's scheduled to come out in February or March of 2023. So I say schedule because, you know, projects sometimes uh, get away from us, but that's the schedule. I actually, just before I came online with you, I sent my final manuscript to the publisher. So hopefully they're going to work their magic with it. And it's been quite a journey. It's, It's also been a big part of my recovery. Yeah. And I didn't set out to write a book. Um, it was just sort of a little bit of journaling that my psychiatrist suggested. And um, I couldn't remember a lot of the things that eventually I've put in the book um, because my brain just wasn't ready to release them. And as I kept writing and writing, you know, I'd go through these periods like, wow, I can't believe 
I came through this. And then on the other side of the coin, there's, wow, what a clusterfuck. Like, <laughs> you know. You must have gone through a period of intense anger about the, the, the fallacies, about all the mistakes that have been made that were avoidable if they just had switched their brain on first. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I don't want to bash the medical system, you know, but in every industry, there's a continuum of, you know, superstars like yourself who can think outside the box and don't have, you know, they're not anchored in their cognitive bias. And, and there's others at the other end who you wonder, how did you ever get hired? And like, why haven't you been fired? You know, uh, in one of my later journeys, it's not in this book, I, I was in step down ICU, I guess, after a surgery. My monitor wasn't working. The nurse left me. She went off to find tools because the monitor was also annoying her. Like she left me. Okay. Like it's, it's just mind blowing. Yeah. But, you know, I've got a really good team now. And some of these things you just, you know, you can't know that uh, a lead is going to crack. Like usually it's a yeah. batch thing. And, you know, there'll be a recall and they'll say, you know, tell your patients this might happen, bring them in, check them out. I wasn't part of any batch lead. It was just something unique to me that this kept screwing up. And, uh, you know, there's just this, in, I started to mention it, there's this anxiety that just you carry with you. And uh, it sucks up a lot of energy. It really, really does. And so many people have these invisible uh, challenges or disabilities, and you never know what's going on with anybody. And there are some incredibly brave people out there. There's a woman in my neighborhood. I've only met her online. I haven't met her in person, but she's been suicidal for like 15 years. And uh, she just recently underwent uh, psilocybin treatment. So hopefully it's going to do something for her. I don't know a lot about it, but I've read that you have to do multiple sessions for it to be effective. And I think they just gave her a one-off. So. Well, there's, there's many options actually to treat severe depression. I kind of am a little bit knowledgeable about it because I was uh, myself a, a patient mm -hmm. and my current husband saved me, thankfully, from getting ECT and I recovered anyway, uh, my own way and um, uh, depression-free, drug-free for years because That's I amazing. know better, I have other strategies to work it. Mm -hmm. But not everybody can do it. And psilocybin is maybe an option for some people. Mm -hmm. And why not? You need yeah. to try something. Whatever um, works for the individual. But like yourself, never gave up. I think that applies for everybody that feels 
they are not getting the right treatment in the medical treatment uh, system. Do not get up, give up, get a second opinion, try again. Mm -hmm. You always corrected yourself 20 times. Come on. If that's not tenacity. It's, you know, I think we're all blessed with a resiliency gene of, of some degree or an overcoming adversity degree uh, gene. And, you know, some of us are just able to access it a little better. It's not a conscious thing. My parents had very hard life. They had serious medical issues and they just kept plugging along. And I guess I learned through observing them uh, a little bit about overcoming adversity and resilience, but it's not like they sat us down and said, okay, you're gonna have hard times. This is how you be resilient. And, and I'm just literally, I'm blessed. Um, you know, whatever your, your take is on God or universal power or whatever, I, I've been blessed with a resilience gene and uh, a relatively positive attitude gene that I realize not everybody has, but you can access it. It's like any muscle. If you, if you try to grab it and keep trying, things will improve for you. Uh, it's the, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Man's Search for Meaning. Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl. I love it. I heard him in the 80s in Germany, shortly before his death. I was too young to really realize what it is, but I read his book several Mm -hmm. times and I realized, wow, what a man. Survived Mm -hmm. the concentration camp and invented logotherapy as a result of it. Didn't break him. And, you know, if you boil down everything he writes about in that book it basically comes out to if you have hope you can you know overcome almost anything yeah and hope isn't something you have to go buy at the store it's not subject to inflation it's not subject to supply chain issues like we're having with everything else it's just you know putting it into practice and there's so many ways that you can fortify yourself with hope or joy or any of those things you know whether you meditate whether you do tapping whether you do therapy whether you do prayer uh whether you just hang out with positive people that you know there are avenues to not do this alone i've been blessed with a great community um and there's a a premise i don't know if it's malcolm gladwell who came up with this but your your basic personality is the sum of the five or seven or nine people you spend the most time with yeah many people said that i think it is absolutely true mm-hmm. and if and- the people that are closest to you are not conducive well nowadays we have the internet you can choose other people to spend more time with. Mm-hmm. and I, I think choose is the right word like you know be around good people in the fasting world when people were having trouble sticking to their fast or wondering why their their fast wasn't working i would tell them you have to feed your brain as much as you feed your belly like just Keep putting more positive things. I, I just reordered um, 
Oh my gosh. Uh, is it Think and Grow Rich? Ah, yeah. Napoleon Hill. Think and Grow Rich. No, this is... Uh, Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of the... Done that. I'll be right back. <laughs> sure. Those are famous books that are helpful for pretty much anybody to read because they're timeless classicers. Yeah. Um, Norman Vincent Peale, oh, Power yeah. of Positive Thinking. Right. And, you know, um, some people might not like the Christian theme in it, but if you strip that away, the information is, is still super solid. Every and... day in every way, I feel better and better. Mm-hmm. Can't say it better than that. I love your attitude, your positive attitude. You need to have a positive, but also realistic attitude. Mm -hmm. Because if you just think, oh, everything is great, but it isn't, it's not helpful. But it can still get better and better. And I yeah. think that's what really is meant by positive thinking. Yeah. And, you know, there's some realities that, that just can't happen for people. I, I am never going to be an Olympic sprinter as much as I would like to. I'm never going to dunk a basketball. I'm never going to be able to play in the NHL, which was, you know, my childhood dream. Um, but you find other things to aspire to. Absolutely. And, you know, even if it's, you know, watching five minutes of something inspirational on YouTube, it's, it's there for the taking. There's lots of very inspirational and helpful material out there. Most of it is available for free if you look mm -hmm. for it or for very low cost. There's excellent books, classics, there's excellent books. And it's much more helpful for most people to partake on those activities than to mindlessly watch TV news all day. That's mm -hmm. pretty case on it <laughs> which some people do and it makes you unhappy mm -hmm. the more you watch the worse you feel <laughs> to um to layer on to the um hyperbaric uh methodologies that you said i was just talking the other week with my uh therapist and um we were talking about yoga mm -hmm. and yoga does amazing things for people because it makes your body bend and contort and, and, you know, exert, and it does amazing things for people. Add on to that, it makes you do a lot of breath work, which I'm just learning about. And breath work, like just elevates your body. Absolutely. And if you can, so many people can't breathe properly. They don't breathe in their belly. They breathe. <laughs> That's anxiety breathing, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and and there's amazing breathing techniques in yoga. I myself do some yoga, but I do mostly Tai Chi, but uh, that's mm -hmm. died down in Nova Scotia, sadly. So I probably go more into yoga now myself because it's just readily available. But mm -hmm. uh, I love those techniques, mindful meditation movement. Mm -hmm. It's for all parts of body, mind, and soul big fan well fred i thank you so very much for being on the show we have to wrap it down 
I could talk to you and with you forever because it is a fascinating story. You have learned so many things that you can share with others and give them hope. Even if something goes wrong, you can recover from it and go on to live a good life, to help others with your story, to even write a book. Come on. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Fred. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.